Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Good morning and welcome back. This is Reformed Podmatics, episode 36. I am Pastor Zach. And I'm Pastor Mark. And today we have a special guest with us. This is Pastor Patrick. So Pastor Patrick is a friend in the youth ministry of a different church nearby. Uh, so we are here in Ripon, California. Pat- pastor Patrick is a youth pastor of Escalon CRC in Escalon, California, which is about I don't know, 30 minutes, 20 minutes to the east of us. And so Pastor Patrick and I have had a few years, the last few years, where we've spent doing different ministry things together, retreats, uh, uh, summer young adult groups that we've done together with other youth pastors in the area. And so today we finally thought, you know, it'd be good not only to have a guest, but to have somebody come on and talk with us about what Reformed Youth Ministry looks like. As somebody who who works uh, in this field, um, it's, it, I thought it was always it would always be fun to have a guest come on to to talk about this with somebody that shared a similar uh, vision for youth, reformed youth ministry, but also somebody who would have maybe distinct things to say that I wouldn't say. So uh, that's part of the fun of having a guest on is sort of bantering and and seeing what each other's thoughts are with different things. And so, yeah, we want those clicks from Escalon CRC. Yeah, we got to get Escalon listening <laughs> right, to this. Right, but I'm not on uh, social media, so no one will even know that uh, I'm here. You're totally <laughs> off the grid, Patrick. I'm off the grid, yeah. That's probably a good thing, uh, especially in 2021. Um, sometimes I'm a little bit jealous. Maybe I should just be done with the old Facebook, but hey, it is what it is. And so, Pastor Patrick, would you just mu- just introduce yourself, share a little bit about yourself, what you do, what your ministry looks like, and how you got involved at Escalon. Yeah, um, well, I went to seminary in Southern California at uh, Talbot, which is a distinctly not Reformed seminary. Um, I married a gal who uh, was, you know, grew up in the Christian Reformed Church, and she wanted to baptize our children, which uh, I <laughs> scoffed at, uh, and then began to read and study and um uh, kind of got absorbed into the Reformed world via the mm. tunnel of infant baptism. Mm. Uh, and that is where I found covenant theology and uh, Reformed theology, piety, and practice, and mm. kind of fell in love with it all. And then my mother-in-law uh, called me up out of the blue uh, after I had graduated and said, hey, Escalon CRC is hiring a youth pastor. <laughs> and that was about six years ago. Well, actually, that was seven years ago. And then I put wow. in uh, my resume and mm. After a, I don't know, nine-month-long process, I was <laughs> called to be the youth pastor at Escalon Christian Reformed Church. Wow, nine months? Yeah, I think I put in the—well, maybe not quite nine months, seven months. It takes a while. Yeah, yeah. I, I sent the resume in, like, October, and I think I got an email in November and a phone call in, like, December. Well, that's one of the things nice. about Reformed Youth Ministry. Things take a long time. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> it takes, true. It takes the, the latest council meeting to come around right. for, for something exactly. to move along. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. You, like me, uh, you have a, a last name that 
some will recognize in this denomination as not being Dutch. And so it's interesting to hear your story. You, like me, came from the outside. Yeah. We're sort of the outsiders of the CRC. And I've listened to enough podcasts from other CRC voices and read enough things from other CRC voices that sometimes uh, there's a little bit of a of a sort of suspicion of people coming from the outside. Right. Uh, people who haven't gone through Calvin Seminary. Now, you have. You've done the EPM, EPMC uh, through Calvin. I, I have not. For anybody who's interested, Pastor Patrick is in Article 6, and I am in Article 23, but that is to sort of get into <laughs> Oh, man, that's in the weeds, yeah. <laughs> for anybody who's not from the CRC and therefore does not care. Uh, but we are... Yeah, we are people who have read our way into Reformed theology, yeah. and that very much, I think, informs how we do our ministry as well um, as, as Reformed factor, youth pastors. Probably for you guys, too, would be not no Christian school right? Yeah, correct. Uh, is in your background, and that being a very, very high value yeah. of particularly the local Christian Reformed churches here. Yeah, and that definitely plays into our context yeah. of, of youth ministry as oh, well. Oh, yeah. I would say... Almost all of my students in my youth group go to the local Christian school, and most of your students do, or about half. Well, so this year, I am now to a point where I have one-third public school and Mm -hmm. two-third Christian school, and there is tension because of that. Um, I have a a couple of students who really do grease the wheels uh, between the two groups. Hmm. Um, They go to Escalon High, uh, but yet they are... Um, personality-wise, just real get along with everybody, and, yeah. and they kind of connect those two groups. Yeah. That's really a godsend, those, those yeah. two. That's a brother and sister. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really, really awesome to hear. For me, we've just always been predominantly ripping Christian students in our youth group. Um, for each of our groups, we've had a couple of students, um, but for the most part, it's been ripping Christian students. And so for me, that looms large in how I think through yeah. my ministry mm. um, because I know that they're getting really solid Bible education and not just Bible, but they're learning about church history, apologetics, uh, and lots of other things, theology. Um, so it's there's, a, there's almost not much more that I can say. So I have to think mm-hmm. about uh, when, in what w- way am I going to be helpful as a youth pastor when when uh, their teacher, Mark Hooksema, is is saying so many great things as it is already. Right. Um, mm. That isn't to say that I have no place at all, uh, but I yeah, get to work in tandem with that. Yeah. Uh, and so a lot of my conversations with them are about what did you learn in Bible and, and wh- what is challenging you, what's, what's uh, difficult for you, what do you find really boring about what you're learning in Bible class, because sometimes there are things that they are not as intrigued by. Other times they're really interested in what the apologetics uh, course has for them. So uh, I like to just uh, open that door of conversation and, and see what they're interested in and then mm-hmm. how I can help them in that area. So uh, I teach uh, catechism on Sunday mornings. Yeah. And so I find that that's the environment where I have most of those questions. I also have a good chunk of the public school students in, in that class as okay. well. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you can really tell that the, the public school students... Um, they were most of them were raised in the church. They have gone to Escalon their whole life, uh, but there is a um, not that they don't understand the theology, but they don't. They're not able to nuance it as well. You know, like I'll ask a question and their answer will be right, um, yeah. but the the language they use is not as familiar. Yeah. You know, to to everyone. Yeah, there's something to be said for sort of just swimming in the water mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. of like 
a Christian perspective mm-hmm. from every teacher. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, of course, that doesn't mean that Christian school is required for being a Christian. I think that mm-hmm. our community probably goes a little bit too far in that right. regard oh, yeah. many times. But there is a benefit, I guess, mm-hmm. is what I hear you guys saying. Yeah, and I think right now your your children are, the ones who are of school age are at Ripon Christian. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And if I had children, they they likely would be as well. So, um, Which I think is, I think is really interesting for like youth pastors to think through that. Oh, yeah. Like my own children participating in youth in, in the Christian school says something about uh, the, the local youth pastor or the pastor of the church's um, yeah. understanding of discipleship, let's say. Yeah. Right. So, um, anyways, I think that that's that's exactly right, though. Uh, it, it plays a lot into into well, it has to inform our decisions on on having children and what what yeah. we will do with our children. Baptismal promises. Yeah. If you're a youth pastor in our area, and you're especially if you're in the CRC, and you don't. That, that would be an interesting conversation, I think, for yeah. for you to have. We could do uh, a whole episode on Christian education. <laughs> oh, sure. yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think, too, for yeah, us. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Right. <laughs> we we would pretty much either be at Ripon Christian or, or homeschool, I, I think, yeah. for us. And that really gets back to just the idea of, you know, what is this, you know, covenantal sort of stream that mm-hmm. uh, we want our kids to be a part of. We... Uh, you know, we're not trying to coax a profession of faith or get them to mm-hmm. pray a prayer. We're, we're trusting that God made promises to those children in their baptism, mm-hmm. and that uh, and that they will receive those promises in faith. Uh, yeah. And yet, we also recognize that our role in that is to uh, teach them the faith and to uh, put mm-hmm. them in a, a situation to where, when they do receive the faith, they understand who they are uh, as a sinner and what Christ has done for them objectively. Yeah. And uh, you know, you just as a parent, you um, long to for that moment when you know your kids have those aha things where they where they get get it, and yeah. uh, t- to miss out on such a massive opportunity uh, to be um, fortified uh, seems to me, uh, yeah, it, I, it's not something I would mm-hmm. want them to miss out on. Yeah, and it, it is a huge opportunity, and that's that's one of the benefits of Christian education is that it sort of puts. You could say the kindling in place. So yeah. it waits for the spark to be lit. Right. And that's that's a lot of catechization in the church, uh, teaching children in the youth ministry. Uh, we teach them, and we'll get into this in a bit, I know, but we teach them as covenant children, and we look for that moment or that time in their life where they will have those moments where they begin to realize, oh, this is all not only just the stuff I've learned in church or in school or in my my home, growing up but this is all something that i believe and how and it changes how i live my life to sort of have those sparks be lit and have all of that that groundwork to be able to to be beneficial and to sort of catch on fire for them Mm -hmm. um that's something you know for me in my own story of coming to reformed theology that i felt like i missed uh, not having been trained in the catechism or not having been taught a sort of uh simple but unified systematic theology, having a holistic understanding of, of God's word. Uh, mm-hmm. I had a lot of my Bible memory verses that mm-hmm. I had memorized as a kid scattered throughout the Bible. I didn't have any idea how they fit together. Uh, and so it had to it took a lot of work on the back end of life in college. And, and after that to 
to really discover the riches of of scripture uh, for myself so it's interesting to me how different this conversation has already been from what you would hear in broader evangelicalism from youth pastors hmm. so we 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 started already by talking about christian education right <laughs> which is not the reality that i would say the vast majority of evangelical especially yeah. mega church youth pastors work in they don't work in that mm -hmm. context and so um what do you guys see as the overall state i mean uh Zach, mm -hmm. I know you've mentioned in other podcasts that you've gone to youth conferences, and mm -hmm. Patrick, I'm sure you also have exposure to maybe some other youth groups to some level, maybe through, I don't <laughs> know, their various uh, mediums, if, if that's even just through conversation with other people. Um, not as much. But no, uh, <laughs> I, you know what's funny is I, uh, yeah. when I got hired at this job, uh, the first interview, they interviewed me, and uh, they asked me, well, what youth ministry books have you read? And I said, none. <laughs> They said, uh, have you ever wanted to be a youth pastor? I said, no. <laughs> and they said, why are you applying for this job? And I said, because I'm a pastor, and this is yeah. an opportunity to serve God's flock. And uh, and for me, I've never, I, I didn't grow up going to the church. Mm. I didn't grow up in youth ministry. I um, never thought of myself as even being a youth pastor. And so I I've actually feel very disconnected. I, I wonder... I, I don't. I don't think I could even work at a, at a church that um, was not reformed in terms of youth ministry. Yeah. I, I know a guy who works at a local mega church. He recently got hired there as a, he's actually a guy I went to seminaries with his brother, yeah. and uh, and one of the things that they expect him to do is grow the youth group. Yeah. Whereas when I got hired at Esquan, Pastor Dave, who's my senior pastor, uh, asked me, "How do you feel about your youth group shrinking?" Mm. And what he had in mind was that in our church, there's this uh, little bubble of kids who at that time are now in the youth group as, as high school students, but at that time were elementary age, and uh, they were very small. Mm -hmm. And so they knew when that little bubble got up into, into the high school group that the high school group would shrink. And now in the next couple of years, I'm looking at my group growing from 15 to 60. Mm -hmm. um, but that's just because there was a baby boom after that, sure. you know? And, uh, but the broader evangelicalism is imagining their youth pastor going to the high school and bringing in members to the church uh, through the youth group, whereas... Sort of the principal evangelist, you might even say. Yeah, yeah. which to me is totally backwards. You mm -hmm. want to bring in the parents who will, you know, through evangelism and discipleship primarily as a, as a focus. And I'm not saying you, you ought not mm -hmm. to bring in high school students, but, but to me, the, the youth group really is an extension of the church, uh, mm. which is, you know, you know, the, the church really is where the means of grace are dispensed mm. on Sunday morning, not, mm. not at youth group. Mm. And, uh, and, and I think that... That's probably the biggest difference. Right. Between yeah. uh, broader evangelical youth ministry and reformed, yeah, so reformed youth ministry. What I've seen is that a lot of youth pastors, I see this a lot online. I'm in a few different mm. forums of youth pastors. Uh, most of those forums are not, reformed by any means which is good to sort of get a sense for what's going on in the broader youth group culture and there's often i sense a a tendency for youth pastors to pit themselves against their senior pastors to pit their youth groups against their church mm. and to sort of sort of say we're going to carve out a space for our young people and we're going to also at the same time sort of slander the rest of our church they just don't get it they don't understand they always look down on me as the youth pastor and they look down on these kids 
but you know those those boomers or whatever they just don't get it uh, and so there's a sort of us versus them mentality that sort of seeps into it and they almost begin to see and I've seen this also yeah at the National Youth Workers Convention that I've been to which had some some good things I don't want to be uh, unfair uh, but a lot of the jokes I would hear from the stage even were sort of like nobody gets you nobody understands you your job is perhaps one of the most important jobs at the church uh, your senior pastor just doesn't get it hmm. uh, and, and I, that that turned me off quite a bit uh, that really kind of got under my skin but there was also this tendency to, for youth pastors to view their youth groups as church mm-hmm. um, to view it as an entity unto itself uh, but often an entity that is unregulated by anything. Um, it's just the whims of the youth pastor. Uh, but another thing that I think marks evangelical youth ministry, and this is nothing new. I'm not saying anything too too innovative here. I think moralistic therapeutic deism is oh, yeah. accurate. In, in youth uh, ministry. And it's very, very clear in youth ministry, especially now with youth youth ministry being done with Gen Z in mind. Uh, this is a very much a feeling generation, and mm. they are very socially connected to one another. But they are very aware of of their feelings. They're aware of issues, political issues. Yeah, too. and that's like they have stresses that yeah a lot of us wouldn't have had exactly. And they're so in tune with everything around them because of social media. And this is not me no. attacking Gen Z at all. No. It's not wrong for them to be a feeling generation. It's just an observation that I'm, that I'm making. Uh, but because of this, I think a lot of youth ministry leaders feel the pressure to sort of, uh, meet the felt needs of their students, the moral um, sort of needs in a lot of ways, like to yeah. fill in moral gaps for them and things like that. Yeah. Well, yeah. And the parents want that too, right? Yeah. The parents want their kids to go to the youth group, to have a night of the week where they know they're not playing video games or mm-hmm. out doing things that they wouldn't want them to do. And they want mm-hmm. the, the youth pastor to train them how to be good, wholesome, mm-hmm. you know, American citizens. And, you know, whereas for me, what I what I want them to do is 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 to hear about God's grace mm-hmm. one more time on a Wednesday night, yeah. Um, because they don't they don't hear about God's grace anywhere else, right? Mm-hmm. It's like everything is performative. Everything is yeah. you you must do this so you can have this. Whereas mm-hmm. uh, God's grace says God has done this so you can be this. Yeah. And it's like kids need to hear that more more than ever, I feel like. Especially in a world where the, where students, young people, high schoolers, middle schoolers feel that the world is really really demanding good people. It's demanding just people, right? Mm-hmm. Who will stand up and fight against evil things in the world and there is this overwhelming sense of I'm not, just not quite doing enough probably. Um I'm not. I'm not out there enough on the front the lines. World. I'm not changing the yeah. world. I'm not going to these to these protests, and so maybe maybe I'm just not a good enough person. Mm. Uh, well, and or, that's even in the church, right? Yeah, that, that has a different way of happening in the church. The church is just classical legalism, mm-hmm. where you think that I need to be a good person, and you know, it it can be surprising to me at times what I hear from young people about their lack of understanding the gospel. Um, yeah, there's been comments that I'll hear uh, from students, and I'll just wonder, do you know the grace of God? 
Uh, maybe I need to say that more, even more clearly. Uh, and and I, I think that that's, uh, that's, uh, that's what something that needs to be said often because legalism does seep into the church and young people in particular can just get the memo that, yeah, I just need to be a good person. That's all too easy. So I was watching a, uh, a, a famous pastor who will go unnamed and uh, I was watching this video of a guy critiquing him and he said legalism you know says that you you do this and you know God will be happy with you antinomianism says um, which is the opposite of legalism I don't know how to define the term no law no law yeah rejection of the law grace yeah so so you don't have to um, obey God's law and he says both people are are centered on God's law, right? Their 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 relationship with God is dictated by God's law. Mm-hmm. He says, "But I know I'm a Christian because I love God." And the guy pauses the video right there and says, "Do you hear what he just said?" <laughs> because I. He said, "Because I love God." He yeah. said, "That's just more law." Yeah. <laughs> and he says, "The the way you know that you are a Christian is if you have received by faith, right? Which is to know, to assent, and then to trust mm-hmm. in the finished work of Jesus Christ." It's objective. It's outside of you, and I think the the students that for them to get the gospel would free them mm. from yeah. the, they are all carrying around this burden. And, and I must confess, I feel like I've piled on that burden mm. um, myself, um, mm. and have uh, sort of recently kind of been had this aha moment of like, you know, God's people need to hear God's grace mm-hmm. primarily. Mm. And um, well, there's an irony in that that the youth leader or the lead pastor in a sermon feels like they're being most helpful when they give moralisms. Right. But we're being most helpful when we point people to grace, to the finished work of Christ and um, Mm. to the work that God does. Right. There's, Mm -hmm. and, and it's funny. uh, Maybe it's not funny. It's ironic that these youth ministries would consider themselves so relevant, so helpful when they would withdraw from students actually the very the most very helpful thing that they possibly could and just focusing on the gospel and i think maybe along with that moralistic therapeutic deism would probably just be the fun factor oh yeah that's something i think we need to get to and and so it's an interesting combination of things it's like you're going to have fun here and you're going to learn some morals here Mm -hmm. which ends up creating a student's expectation of what church will be basically for the rest yeah. of their well, life. Well, you've also sure. segmented them out of the Sunday morning service into their own demographic oh, yeah. as well, which just further creates that divide. They don't, they don't. And that trend is increasing, I would say. Yeah, which uh, Fuller Youth Institute has done these um, <laughs> research into this whole thing, oh, and they've man. like proven that. Um, That's a bad. It's a disaster. <laughs> yeah, and, and you wonder why that hasn't been more permeated out through the culture. Um, you yeah. don't even have to do research. I mean, just thinking about just it for five minutes is is <laughs> sending children. Like, um, there's a, a very large church nearby, which I believe kids will never sit in church with their families until I think they're done with high school. Yeah. 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 They will never sit in church with their family until they're done with high school. Yeah. It's like you think about that for five minutes. That just sounds absolutely crazy. To, to me and, and to us, I think. And for the but, older people, they're never going to see little ones and, and worship. Right. Yeah. And and sit with them and, and hear little voices. I think the entire service as well. Um, I'm not sure if we're thinking of the same church, but 
I don't, we I don't, probably are. I don't think it's a split. <laughs> it's at a certain point in the service they get split. So in our church yeah. in Ammon Valley, we do send the little ones, the really little ones, three years old up to about seven years old, second grade, uh, to go to children's and children worship after yeah, during the sermon. But what do they learn in children's worship? Yeah. How to worship. They learn how to worship back in the service, right? Yeah. So it's all about putting yeah. them back into this service. So when they get there, they know why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, they're getting prepared for, yeah. uh, as second graders right. when they graduate, and then now you're going to sit in church with the mm-hmm. church, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But that isn't just to rag on a local church. I, that's a trend in yeah. even increasingly in uh, smaller churches is to segment off young people during Sunday morning worship. Right. And, um, man, talk about non-reformed uh, mm-hmm. holistic covenant theology. Uh, you just see it right there. It's, yeah. it's dispensational even in the age of the people of the church, right? Right. Um, so. But honestly, when I, I, so I, our church, I'll, if I'm not preaching, I'll preside over the liturgy, the first mm-hmm. part of the service, and then afterwards I'll go sit down. And when I sit down with my nine-year-old, my seven-year-old, and my five-year-old will be gone at, at children in worship, uh, and they're squirmy. Yeah. And they're distracting. Yeah. And it's hard to listen to the sermon. <laughs> and I I get it. And I also feel like this anxiety, this almost being embarrassed that people are watching my kid being more distracted than any other kid in the whole church, right? You get this feeling as a parent. Yet, I think to myself, it's so worth it. Mm-hmm. It's so worth it for them to be in there and for, for me to die to myself, right? Mm-hmm. Because I want everyone to think I'm the pastor who's really taught my kids how to be self-disciplined, yeah. which is just apparently not the case yeah um and and it's also good for them to see you know uh, us worshiping and uh, you know my son asked me the other day uh dad why why does mom cry so much during when we're singing mm. you know and it's like hey, that's it man yeah that's what they need to learn they noticed that yeah. how beautiful is that yeah. right they need to hear mom and dad singing yes they need to hear their neighbors singing yes they need to pray for other people old people right and uh you know i I liken it to um going to a restaurant it is definitely the trend now that little ones will have phones or tablets in Mm -hmm. front of them while the family is sitting in the restaurant mom and dad are enjoying a nice conversation Mm -hmm. having sort of adult conversation while the kids are have their faces buried in screens and the church is doing the same thing in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways by sending you know, little kids who might be a little bit of a nuisance away so that we can have adult time and, and do our, our focused thing. And it's a short game that seems like a good idea with no vision at all for the long game of uh, sooner or later they're going to have to sit here with us and they w- they just won't know how to do that. So yeah, um, sitting in a restaurant even is something that, that appears to me like it's um, might not happen uh in the most productive way when these kids grow up, you know, and, and you already see that with addiction to phones and less of an ability to just sit with people and have a meal. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Something that I always think about when people bring up the argument against having children in the worship service uh, is that it, it, they'll often say, well, it's a distraction not only for the parents, mm-hmm. but the kid's not paying attention, and then they distract other people from paying attention. And so we shouldn't have, we'll say, babies in the worship service. My, my argument against that is that is something still happening? Is God still yeah. meeting with his people even when there's crying babies? You know, yes, yeah. God is still there. <laughs> even if you're unable to pay attention, 
the, the blessings that we receive aren't merely cognitive blessings that happen mm-hmm. through being able to pay attention. Even if you're a mother and you have a child, and I say this with as much uh, respect as possible, and, I, and I'll never have that experience. I've never had children myself, uh, but I think you will still be blessed by coming to church, even with a crying baby. Even if you have to walk out a few mm-hmm. times to take care of your child, uh, you will still receive blessings by being with God's people yeah. on the Lord's day. Well, and I could be persuaded uh, to not have any nursery or children worship whatsoever. Um, right. I, I I know it's a in-house debate on that one, but but for yeah. that very reason, uh, because then now all those nursery workers, all those children worship yeah. workers, they're all now in the congregation being blessed. And we're all we're all sitting there. Maybe we do hear a crying baby. Maybe we do hear a kid, you know, roll a marble down the, you know, under the pubes, <laughs> pews or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but that that does not take away uh, from what God is doing in that moment uh-huh. uh, with His people in my heart. And you know, you can always listen to the sermon on the podcast later on nowadays, mm-hmm. right? So so it's not like you. You've missed it if if you get distracted. Yeah. Um, Think about God's covenant children, you know, walking through the wilderness, going through the Red Sea. Moses parts the sea. There's lots of crying babies. That was just sort of what God is doing. Mm -hmm. God's taking his people somewhere. And so, of course, there's going to be kids dropping their toys, you know. That that has (laughs) happened a few times that I can remember since being here at Hammond Valley, uh, where kids will have toys in the pew. And some people may, you know, disagree with, well, you shouldn't let your kid have toys, but... Yeah, I think having your ch- your child there, yeah. there's, a, there's there's something that is f- they're being formed in. I can yeah. remember my my parents singing when I was a young child before I could read. So I remember looking at the words on the screen, having no idea what they meant, uh, and just sort of trying to make my my way through the song as best I could, mm. uh, even as a four year old, and seeing looking up at my dad and seeing him singing and seeing how seriously he took it. Uh, that meant to me that there's something more serious here that, that is happening than what happens throughout the rest of the week. And I noticed, I don't know what's exactly going on here, but something something really sacred is happening. And well, that's really important. And not to get too sentimental, but it does build memories just like that in yeah. the church, in worship. So like I, some of my memories that are a little bit silly are playing with my mom's watch, which was kind of a fancy watch, hmm. or laying out um, one of my cool memories of being a kid in church is that we actually were a church plant and the only church building that we could find for a while was a historic chapel built in the 1860s in what's called the neighbor settlement so naperville has this old like village like a plymouth plantation type village and the church is where we would have church and so i remember you know there was only 25 or 30 people in that church at the time uh, we were one of the first families to be a part of it and i just remember being a little kid laying in this old pew from the 1860s and just like i don't know just sort of soaking it in a little bit hmm. um and what would have happened if you know oh, it's time for the kids to just just go away you can't be a part of this mm-hmm. even in um our modern churches it doesn't have to be an old historic chapel i think that we would be surprised at how much kids are noticing and not only for their sake, but I just want to say as reformed thinkers, again, we think holistically, intergenerationally, covenantally. Yeah. And so our older people in particular, Are very um, really older people, 70s, 80s, how much they love seeing children. Oh, yeah. Like 
it blesses them in a way that young people could not understand, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly with COVID, if they're alone all week um, trying to be careful, and then if they're being careful even coming to church and they see little kids or they hear little voices, they, I mean, it's it's probably like a jolt of adrenaline almost um, <laughs> to them in terms of the social connection to that. The faith goes on. The next yeah. generation is learning the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, even as they go out to children worship, they're happy about that and we just smile. Um, so it's not just for kids. It's not just for parents, but it's for, for everyone in the church. Yeah, I think you nailed nailed it there. I get a lot of comments from elderly people in our congregation who thank me for my work mm. because they really appreciate seeing young people who are deeply committed to Christ. Uh, we live in a world where a lot of, I think, older people are prone to be fearful that the faith is not being passed on. And there's good reasons for that. A lot of, a lot of the statistics obviously aren't great for young people staying in the church. But they hear mm. that sort of stuff, but then they see young people who really are committed uh, to to the faith and really are interested in learning and in growing and in obeying Christ in all of life. Uh, and that really invigorates them and gives them reason to hope instead of just despair that when I'm gone, the Christian faith will be in a world of hurt. They see, okay, yeah, maybe things aren't as great as they used to be, sure, but there are really... Uh, amazing young people who mm-hmm. who will carry it on and it's going to be okay and i think that that does invigorate them and bring them lots of joy and hope uh, seeing that god's promises are still true mm-hmm. god is still redeeming a people and forming a people and that the christian faith will not die out mm-hmm. in the 21st century uh, yeah and so everything i do in terms of the youth is to funnel them back mm-hmm. t- to the Sunday morning yeah. gathering. Like that, that to, yeah. yeah, the means of grace. Yeah. And so we sing on Wednesday nights, but I sing not because I, I'm trying to recreate a worship service, but because mm-hmm. I'm trying to give opportunity for students with musical talent uh, to feel involved and be a part of it. Yeah. Uh, it's more of a training almost. Training, yeah, yeah, yeah. pragmatic approach to it. Mm. Um, and then, uh, and then I teach the Bible. Like I don't, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I don't give them three steps to, <laughs> you know, a better high school experience. Like yeah. I taught on Psalm one twenty one la- last time we were together, <laughs> and uh, talked about how God has the power to keep you <laughs> all the way till you reach the New Jerusalem, and uh, and to me, it's like when they get when they what excites people about their faith is just how much God loves them even though he ought not to. And I and I want those students on a on a Wednesday night um to just know how much God loves them. Yeah. And I feel like I can freely say that to them mm-hmm. because they are baptized members of our church mm-hmm. who I I can assume uh God is working in their lives through all these other means of grace through their parents. Yeah. Um and so I I can freely tell them, you know, I trust that they will receive the promises that were made to them in baptism. Yep. Um, so with, the covenant theology becomes really important in how we do ministry in a reformed context. It impacts everything. I'm not. I'm not dealing with people who I'm afraid don't know the Lord. I'm, I'm dealing with people who are very immature in their faith. A lot mm-hmm. of them, uh, and others the not so much. Um, but yeah. uh, but I I believe I'm dealing with people who who have faith. Yeah. And uh, a real faith that, so that needs you to be sp- nourished. Mm-hmm. Sorry to cut you off. When you speak to them, do you usually address them as Christians? Or, and do the words that come out of your mouth 
sort of assume their Christian faith or do you give more conditional statements? Like if you are a Christian, if you are a believer. So I've actually made a transition with this. I think when I first got here, I think because, so what's interesting is I got into reformed theology, but getting hired at this job, I've actually become more reformed since being here. Mm -hmm. So I would say my six years of being at Escalon has, as a, I've transitioned there. I think, I think the beginning there was more conditional, you know, because I I think Mm -hmm. I had sort of confused, I'd collapsed justification into sanctification, which has happened in, you know, Mm -hmm. broad evangelicalism anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even in the reformed world, that is a huge debate. And uh, and I had also and I had taken the the fruit and the root, you know, and I I I'd I'd say, hey, look, if you don't got fruit, you might not have root. Uh, Which in reality, you know, there is a connection between fruit and root, but yet. We are saved, by, you know, it's the whole, what is true faith in the Heidelberg Catechism, mm. you know? And, uh, and, and to me, I've, I've really been persuaded that, uh, that, that I, I rest in faith and faith alone, right? It's the direct act of faith that produces the reflex act of faith. Yeah. And so I, I think I can, I, I can speak to these students covenantally, knowing that, that God is the one who is at work to will and to do. Mm-hmm. And I also know that if one of them happens to, to not be one of the elect, um, that that's, that's not my, that's right. not my concern. Not <laughs> yeah. 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 Sometimes well, fruit takes a season to grow. Yeah. It doesn't just come, you know, constantly. If you look at it, at any plant that grows a fruit, <laughs> It's not just year-round. It's just producing fruit. You know, it comes and goes. There are yeah. seasons. That's Psalm 1. Yields so, its fruit and season. Right. Yeah. Yep. And so that's one one thought that what you said made me think about. And um, Well, that, that's in youth ministry and in broader evangelicalism as well, is um, who do we preach to? Mm-hmm. Who, do, who, do, who do we have in mind when we're planning a worship service? Who do we have in mind when we're doing a youth retreat, right? Yeah. And um, I like Tim Keller says, um, I preach to believers knowing non-believers are listening. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very uh, reformed thing to say, I think. Yeah. And so it, it does have, I think the hyper Calvinist will just preach to the elect um, mm-hmm. almost in an exclusionary way of like, if you're not in this, then you're really on the outside. I don't know if you have any chance here um, unless yeah. you're just miraculously, you know, brought in somehow. Um, meanwhile, the, the, the more likely scenario among, um, evangelicals is to preach almost essentially to try to convince people that Jesus is good. He's worth your time. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you should follow him and that would be a good thing for your life. Now, of course there's the cross and the resurrection in, in all these churches, but it's more of a, uh, salesy Mm -hmm. way of doing not just church, but youth ministry, I would guess as well. We've got to make it fun. Mm-hmm. We've got to have the music amped up. It's got to be on point. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, these kids are not going to like this. And um, that's that's what I hear. Uh, I, I'm not as engaged in the conversation as you guys are, but when I was participating in youth ministry about 10 years ago, that's definitely what I heard. It's got to be exciting or the kids will be bored. And if we bore them with, with Christ and with the Bible, then we lost our chance. I basically. don't think anything has changed in that regard. Yeah. I think... So some of the content of the teaching, this is just my guess given what I've seen on different forums, has become more and more capitulated to the moralistic therapeutic mm. uh, deistic paradigm. Uh, I think you get a lot of youth pastors who are sensing uh, 
how Christian morality differ, differentiates or is different from the world's reality and I, or, or moral reality. Um, and there, I think there is a lot of capitulation beginning to happen in, in youth groups where youth leaders uh, are beginning to, to start to teach things that are out of step with, with the tradition, um, with the, with the Christian tradition, particularly, particularly around sexuality. This is a big question for young people today. Uh, what are we to make of as young Christians of what scripture says about homosexuality, uh, lesbianism, transgenderism, and so on. And I think I see a lot of youth leaders, uh, giving up on, on the historic position, uh, in order to, it's born out of that same, I would say, uh, tendency of youth pastors to try to sell it, uh, to try to yeah. make it look cool. It's a hard sell. How do we make things look cool today? It still may be wearing the cool shoes and the cool clothes and having the sort of swag when you're up on stage and tell, telling people about your, you know, your super smoking hot wife or whatever. Uh, it may be that sort of thing, but I think it's also wanting to uh, basically just have kids feel like their their sort of moral opinions that they've learned through social media are are good and valid. And I think that that's one way people are trying to really sell youth groups. And so it's meeting that well, sort of moralistic So that's need not even in a Christian. Sense. I mean, we're not even no. talking about Reformed anymore. Yeah. But yeah. I see that a lot. I see a lot of capitulation in youth ministry, ministries, organizations on those issues. Well, nobody wants to be ordinary. And, and Christianity, hmm. the way God has designed it, is just so ordinary. Hmm. It's we come... And we hear the word of God preached, and it doesn't matter how um, dynamic or you know creative the pastor is. If he's faithfully preaching God's word, we receive the sacraments. Uh, we we remember our own baptism, and and we worship uh, with songs and hymns and spiritual songs that we sing to each other. We pray, and and it's just so simple and so boring. I'm I'm preaching on John six on Sunday morning. One of the things that strikes me about that passage is these, these guys, they, he, Jesus feeds the 5,000, he walks across water, he comes and he starts claiming that, that you know, he's the son of man and they want more proof and he starts talking about how they need a, he's the bread of life and, and they're like, wait a minute, you're just Joseph's son, we, we know you, you're so ordinary. <laughs> and, I, and I thought to myself, he just fed 5,000 people yeah. mm-hmm. and now you think he's ordinary? <laughs> and it's like, yeah. Because that's that's it. It's just he's ordinary, but yet at the same time he is the Son of God, and he is this glorious person who um, who is worthy of all of our worship. But yet ordinary, he is the son of Joseph. He's got brothers and a mom, and yeah, that's I think one of the big differences with how my Reformed theology influences my youth ministry is that a lot of youth ministry is attempting to be big to be exciting mm-hmm. to be extraordinary to be different to be very very fun and and while this looks different in different ways now than it may have looked in the 90s when I was growing up in youth ministry it's still born out of a similar sense that if we don't do this people will stop coming to Christ right and the church will will fade away um, and so there's a sort of inherent uh, fear or sort of a uh, 
hopelessness. That well, and the pressure's all on you. Yeah. But Christ said, I will build my church, yeah. not Zach Dewey will build my church. Yeah. And it takes the pressure off when, when I recognize, oh, Christ is building his church. Mm-hmm. My role is just to be faith, faithful here. And I and one of the things I yep. struggle with is I sometimes, there's I will still feel just awkward with the high school students, mm-hmm. you know, because they're so awkward. <laughs> and, and, and that, and I just, and I think to myself, like, you know what, I'm, I read somewhere a guy said, give them the gift of your awkwardness. Mm-hmm. They just want you to be with them and they want to know that you, that you love them. And, yeah. and so I pray for them by name and I, and I be with them and, and I just trust that as inadequate as I am, uh, as a, as a person, as a pastor, uh, as a, you know, as a dad and a husband, I, I trust that, that God's grace is working through all of that and that the pressure is off of me. And um, and without that, like if I had to light my hair on fire and get, you know, figure out how to get twenty more kids in the youth group, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think I could do that job. I think I think I'd rather go back to being a claims adjuster. Yeah, which is what I was before I became a pastor. Man, that sounds fun. It was <laughs> a great for job. Another episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I I think what we're getting at here though is is one of the big differences. It's just. Uh, but my experience in life uh, as a kid going through youth ministries and then uh, seeing youth ministry now as a youth pastor and sort of being a little bit in touch with the youth ministry world, it's the sense that youth ministry has to be exciting and energetic. And I think the one difference that I've tried to bring is to make youth ministry a serious place. Yeah. Um, that's maybe the biggest difference of how my reformed theology informs my ministry. And it's, I, this could be true for other denominations and traditions and so on. Uh, but for me, I've realized that what I felt like I was missing a lot growing up, uh, I had great, great youth pastors who did do things very, very well. And I look back and I think I have a lot to learn that I could implement from their ministries in my life. But one thing I missed was uh, a, a a sort of seriousness about the gospel and about scripture mm. that I didn't catch until I was in college and having to read on my own. Um, reverence, awe. Re- reverence, awe, seriousness. I think especially today, kids are asking really good questions. And so what I want to do very much is to make my talks, my messages, my homilies, whatever we want to call them, aimed almost at college level or above hoping that if i'm speaking over their heads a little bit it will at least give them a little bit more ballast in life and so my my messages are known by my kids as being uh heady and i think i do that very much on purpose Mm. uh and i'm not really apologetic about that I'm i'm not really uh, sad about that. I, I do that. That's very much an intention uh, that I want my sermons to be full of meat for them to, to chew on and to think about. And so, yeah, my youth ministry, my kids will tell you, is not a very flashy youth ministry. It's pretty simple. We we play a few games or do a few activities, and then we do about 30 minutes of teaching and about 30 minutes of small groups, and we pray and we leave. Um, that's basically what it looks like every week. Uh, but I, I hope what they get is that, oh, Christianity is actually serious. It's a force to be reckoned with mm-hmm. because 
my sort of background thinking growing up in church was that, and I, I was never taught this explicitly, but I had the feeling always that it has to be spiced up somehow. Being a Christian has to be spiced up. So I was really, really into, as a high schooler, Christian metal bands that I thought, man, this makes Christianity look really cool. That's what Christianity really needs. It needs to be really cool. It needs to sort of have a facelift for a new age. Um, and so it was always, my, 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 my thought below that was that it's not enough. Right. It's not quite enough. Uh, I, nobody ever said that explicitly, but that was sort of the underlying message that I somehow picked up along the way. Uh, and so... I hope my ministry for my kids shows them that, oh, yeah, it is enough. Just having a simple but clear understanding of what Scripture teaches uh, and of the, the sort of seriousness of, of Christian thought uh, and how Christianity uh, is so helpful in thinking through life, the meaning of life, the value of life, uh, why we're here, what what this is all about, uh, I think that that is something I try to get across very, very clearly and in all sorts of different ways. But I hope that my, my teaching is not just full of jokes and of funny stories, but that it actually shows them meaningful truth and it puts that on display for them. But I don't avoid a joke every now and then. I don't avoid a funny story, but it's usually ornamental, right? It's not like the thing that I'm building the talk around, just like in a sermon. Mm -hmm. Also, too, if you if you focus on something meaty, something reverential, uh, something that about God and His Word and what He's done for us, uh, then I will also hang my applications on that. So I don't, I don't come in doing a sex talk, right? Mm-hmm. I I routinely talk about our sexuality as an application of whatever I'm teaching on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't do a talk on social media. I routinely refer to and see. This is why yeah. uh, this mm-hmm. is more worth your time and energy and focus than social media. This is why you're drawn to social media because it's basically just candy, you know, and, uh, and this is something that you can, you can feed on. Mm. And, and, and for me, the hope is, is that, is that as they do that and they see that, that they will believe that it's true on some level mm. and then their life will begin to gravitate more and more towards that as they become more and more disenchanted with all of the things that the world has to offer that are not satisfying. Yeah, I, I really like the concept of putting things a little bit above their heads so that, they, that there's something to grow up into. Yeah. I think that, like you said, much youth ministry is to bring everything down to the level of Mm -hmm. young people that's what i was certainly tempted to do when i was leading in youth groups is make everything relevant make everything um just sort of applicable to all of their life experiences without ever sounding like a real authority Um, yeah I, Mm. i would liken it to um reading a book so uh the three of us along with uh pastor dave are reading this Bavink uh, biography and when i read herman Bavink, i very much get the sense this guy is way over my head but there's kind yeah. of a thrill in that. There's a thrill yeah. in like this genius um, is understand something about the kingdom of God that I have got to work hard. To, hmm. I'm, I'm going to work hard, and there's a there's sort of a thrill and an appeal to that um, presentation that is above me, and, mm-hmm. and I'm going to have to work at to get to it. 
And yeah. I think that youth ministry that functions in that way is really a good thing as well. Like, um, or even in, in my sermons, every once in a while, I'll say a word that maybe I will explain, but it's a word that would be above maybe many people. But mm-hmm. what it, it communicates subconsciously is there's way higher we could go with this yeah. than just the surface level understanding of how does this text make you feel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so in youth ministry, that's exactly what kids need. I mean, that's a, a text I just looked up. Ephesians 4 is about speak speaking the truth in love so that we in all things will grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. Yeah, and so yeah. we're, we're growing up into something instead of just, you know, I, one thing I appreciate about you guys and your youth ministry is you're not sort of just the, the hoodie wearing, um, like, like 30 something. I do old. sometimes wear a hoodie though. I, I, wearing a hoodie <laughs> you're right wearing now. a hoodie right now. Um, yeah. But you know what I mean? Yeah. That is sort of just the, the 30, 40 year old guy who's acting like a kid. Yeah. And yeah. who is coming down to their level so much so that there's nothing to grow up into for them. Yeah. yeah. They, he's not an authority on scripture or on theology or apologetics or whatever, but just he's present. Uh, sort of a, mm-hmm. in seminary, they call this a quivering mass of availability, you know? <laughs> um, and uh, I, th- I think going the opposite way is what we need in youth ministry is to grow up into something. Mm-hmm. The, I'm going to have to learn. The balance is too, um, just to push back from the other side, yeah. I agree 100%. That, that I do speak what I would consider to be over their heads. But you never, I never want to communicate that you have to have a seminary degree to yeah. understand this yeah, thing. That's yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And, and so it's like, how, how do I show them that like, hey, look, w- what it would take to, to mm-hmm. read your Bible and to understand this is, is not a seminary degree, yeah. but, but just time. And that's time like spent in a, in a single moment reading it and asking questions, and then also a lifetime of of reading it and asking questions and maybe what i mean by that too is is not just the head knowledge there's something to grow up into but just the heart of Herman yeah Bobby, the, mm-hmm. the heart of augustine the heart of john calvin the what they are communicating is from their heart and is so profound i want to grow into that it's so there's so a whole ethos that comes with absolutely, it yes absolutely and i think that's particularly got to be seen through youth ministry there's a mm-hmm. a heart that's on a mature solid christian heart that kids need to see um, yeah. a, a desire for the kingdom of god and that's what they're growing up into and instead of just sort of the candy you know that you sort of talked about yes mm-hmm. and so it's yeah it's not just that that's the thrill of reading bobbing for me is this doxological life of this man he didn't have to write these books hmm. he just had he, but he, he did have to in this, the spiritual sense of he mm-hmm. had this knowledge. It was wonderful. It's just sort of a Pauline attitude. I've, I've got, I've been into the heights. I've been, mm-hmm. you know, it, in the presence of Christ, and I've just got to write you this letter. Yeah. And, and so hopefully that's the motivation, too, of youth ministry. It's like, I've, I'm experiencing Christ. I've got to share that with you guys. Well, it's true piety. Exactly. Right? Yeah. 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 It's, it, and it's sort of a puritanical approach as well of just the contentment, joy, mm. peace of the Christian life that influences all of ministry yeah so yeah that's that's really helpful um i i learned that point from flannery o'connor years ago actually in a ligonier table talk it was like their it's their monthly magazine that ligonier does so rc sproul's ministry uh and it was way before i went to seminary i just got just started subscribing to table talk magazine and there was a whole uh uh, p- piece or whole magazine on youth ministry 
Uh, and this is long before I ever thought I'd wind up and find myself as a youth pastor. But one of the points was that there was a story of, of Flannery O'Connor, who was a, a great author of the 20th century uh, from the South, from Georgia. And she was a part of her school board, and there was a discussion going on about uh, taking out the classical authors and introducing more modern authors into the curriculum. And she basically made the point that even though this stuff, because it had been said, well, these classic authors, it's way above their heads. These kids, why do they need to learn, you know, the great philosophers? Like, why do they need to be reading the great sort of stories, the Odyssey or whatever? whatever, uh, Or why do they need to read Shakespeare? And her basic point was, we don't need to dumb things down to their level. We need to call them to a new level and we need to challenge their minds by stretching their minds and we need to speak over their heads. And I thought, wow, yeah, that's, I think that that's what I, I would have appreciated. And not to say if my old youth pastors are listening that, <laughs> that they all did a horrible job because they didn't. And I'm sure I could have done a better job paying attention. Uh, but just sort of the, 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 church life and the the way that youth ministry was approached um, uh, by different people in my churches. I went to two different churches in my life prior to uh, seminary. It was just sort of a little bit, it lacked seriousness. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I therefore thought, yeah, exactly. I therefore thought Christianity is not serious, but I knew this world is serious. Uh, Things in this life are serious uh, and so if Christianity can't speak into these serious issues that I have or serious concerns that I have uh, to the serious pain that I had in my life, then what's it worth? Mm-hmm. And and so I needed a serious Christianity and I needed something that challenged me. And I had begun to think it's not serious. It's just a bunch of cheesy, flimsy things. Uh, I, I basically thought Christianity was n- had no more deep things to say than what I learned in VBS. You know, God loves me. God wants me to love other people. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's flimsy. I didn't realize the depth of actually what, what those things mean. I just sort of thought, eh, it's just cheap and it doesn't explain how to live meaningfully in this world. And I think that it's people like me probably who have drawn or who have caused the Jordan Peterson phenomenon that we've seen in the last few years, a sort of loss of meaning, a sort of a desire for something deeper. Uh, So you have a lot of people who have left their Christian faith, but find Jordan Peterson and people like him very interesting. And I think that's just because there's a sort of seriousness there. There's a weight Mm -hmm. there. And I, I have found that in Christianity. And a lot of that for me has been just by reading backwards and by reading smarter people than myself, reading Bavink, reading Calvin, uh, reading Augustine, reading the church fathers, reading, reading people that are from a different time period, a different location. And that's another thing that changes how I do my ministry. I often try to work in comments about theologians and pastors and Christians, lay Christians from church history. We actually just did a full series on this, um, the beginning of the spring and sort of rooting uh, students in the Catholic church. Yeah. And trying to help them see that you are a part of a, of a thoughtful, amazing tradition that people today will want to rag on and Mm -hmm. to sort of tell you how horrible it is. Yeah, but if you want to see great lovers, people who cared for people who were 
hurt, people who are pushed to the margins, look at Christianity. You have you have you know Saint Basil and his Basiliad, which is essentially sort of the first free hospital where people could go to get not only medical care but could go to get to receive services and, and be a part of programs to educate themselves to go back out into society. They would take lepers in. His sister Saint Macrina would take care of of babies she would find in trash heaps. She would take them in and adopt them and raise them. And this is what Christianity looks like. This is why it's so different. And so when people start telling you how, how horrible and oppressive and hateful Christianity is, think about this. Um, and so realizing that Christianity was much deeper than just, oh, my church was founded in 1965, and it goes back to when the pastor became our pastor, and that's really church history, or maybe Billy Graham too, and that's church history. Uh but realizing that, no, there's actually really thoughtful things that can be found here. There's a treasure trove of resources uh, to, to think through and to enjoy and to, and to use for your own improvement so that you can be a better worshiper and glorifier of God. Uh, that, that was really exciting and still is, and I hope that our young people catch that vision here at Amon Valley. And even if they don't. Like, right. No, the, some the, of them are just not going to be into it, and that's well, that's okay. But that's the beauty of going back to where the conversation was at the beginning. It's like this the stream of of um, you know this covenantal experience of being born in the church, raised in the church, coming every Sunday, receiving God's grace, going back out, not being told that hey, because you're a plumber, or because you're this, or because you're that, that you're somehow less than. But yet, God has called you to that role, and. Yeah. And you can go out and you can glorify God as a plumber. You don't have to be the pastor who's read all these yeah. books to to uh, to be able to swim deeply into that stream. But but yet That's you can point. come and you can appreciate the pastor who's been called and given the time and effort and energy mm-hmm. to read all those books, so he can distill them down for you, so you can be encouraged uh, yeah. all at the same time. It's I mean it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, well, that's a great place to, uh, to conclude our conversation. Yeah, I think so. Um, thank you guys for all the wisdom and for your good work with young people, man. It's, uh, I, I think that it is different to, uh, to reach young people today in some regard, as it has been a lot of the institutions and structures that, um, were, were relied upon in previous generations are, uh, falling apart a little bit and yet you know, leaves young people questioning a lot mm-hmm. of really big things about life. Um, and authority right and uh and where they should go with with issues that they're facing in life and so um hopefully that helped our listeners uh think a little bit not just about youth ministry but really about all of church ministry i think that all these lessons could apply to um worship on sunday morning to a men's bible study um and uh you know pick any ministry and hopefully we've Hmm. given some advice or some some insight that could be helpful so thank you for listening yeah, and thanks and to Pastor Patrick for you. coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks it was Patrick fun. Thanks for joining us. We'll have to uh, repeat this uh, sometime in the future. That Christian education conversation will be a good one. Yeah, yeah and we'll get Dave in here too. Yeah, I think that'd, that'd be, be fun. That'd be awesome. So thank you for listening, everyone. Have a great week. All right, see you guys. See God bless.